live at Bar Canada inside the D Hotel and Casino. It's Cofield and Company. Your dad is like freaking Ari on steroids. Yeah. That is the worst. No, I'm very aggressive. It's, it's ridiculous. I'm just out of control. That was my shot arm. I don't know why I just did that. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Elite Eight on the way. Houston Cougars 8 against Oregon State at the Circus Sportsbook inside the D here in Bar Canada. That's the first game. And then Baylor is 7.5 against Arkansas and Eric Musselman. So two games on the way tonight, two more games on the way tomorrow. Tomorrow, we also go noon to 4, noon to 4 right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. All right, now you've been gloating for an hour. Not really. Oh, you have. You're a show-off. Should I should I tweet that I'm a show-off? See what happens with it? Uh, you're such a – you're a child. So what's happening is uh, it's very cool. At all the Circus Sportsbooks, they've got a, a scroll, a Twitter feed that is updating all the time, and you keep popping up on the Twitter feed. And every time you tweet, you're like, you point to it and start laughing. And I'm like, all right, okay, I get it. I get it. They're, at, you know, they have you on the Twitter feed. I'm not on there. It's all right. It's okay. Well, you're not important enough. Apparently not. It's clear, clearly, that's the case. Apparently not. Now, at some point, I'm sure Circus, I, I, Circus Sports. I, I follow will, at Circus Sports. It's, you know, I follow them. I'm sure, you know, at some point, Circus Sports will decide that my tweets are so ridiculous and obnoxious, they're just going to take me down. Right, it's too many. But for right now. It's I mean, nice. Just because I'm sending out lovely pictures of the property here at the D doesn't, but I, doesn't mean you want me on the feed. You know, I just do because for, I was here yesterday, yeah. enjoying some libations. Well, they like more, you know, really creative and fun <laughs> topics. I, I, I will say, I wonderful treatment from the uh, D valet folks yesterday. Really? As you know, the SO is hobbled a bit right now since sure. she snapped her ankle three weeks ago, and she's got a little little scooter. So uh, we valeted, and they treated us very well yesterday. No, she said she said that sometimes you get mad that it goes so fast, and she runs away from you. I, I'm, it's bad. <laughs> I'm snapping all the time. Well, because I, because I watched her get injured, and now I'm like, please don't re-injure yourself. And now she's got this one-legged scooter, and like she's going down ramps 100 miles an hour. I'm like, what are you doing? Zipping around. What happens? Very nerve-wracking. Uh, so yeah, I, sometimes I forget that you know all my tweets are so prominently displayed at all the circus sports books. So many of your tweets are just idiotic. I know that's, that's what I'm thing. saying. And so, but when I'm here, it actually is a good reminder to not just send out nonsense because I'm like, oh yeah, there's a lot of people that get to see my get to see my tweets every time I tweet them up on this board. Your uh, your your retweet of a peep pizza really popped up on their board. It really did. Peep pizza popped it put their board to the test too because obviously the the graphics yeah it's nice uh, but it, yeah it popped I, I was a little worried that it may be pixelated or something no it was it would look great up there that at, pizza looked delicious at circus sports and maybe you could be adam hill and if, be on their scrolling board if circus sports follows you then your tweets will be up on the board but good luck to all you guys because steve can't get up there i don't know how anybody else could number four should I DM them since they follow me and say, hey, you should follow Steve? 
Number four. You can try to DM them, but they don't follow you. So Number four. It wouldn't show up. Number four. Are you done? No. No. <laughs> I've been looking forward to a potential Francis Ngannou-John Jones fight for at least a couple of years. Every time we talk about that fight, and this was back when Jones was the 205 champ and not bulked up to heavyweight, didn't have the plan of going to heavyweight, you and I started yelling at each other. Okay, are we going to get the fight? Because now, now that we're here, I don't want to get fired up over this and then find out that, you know, John Jones wants 15 mil for the fight and UFC is going to pay four. And believe me, I'm on John Jones' side, and I'm not on John Jones' side very often. But this is a mega fight. I don't believe that. Have you heard numbers on Stipe and uh, and Ngannou in terms of pay per view? Was it was it trending well? I haven't heard. I assume it, it was pretty good. Okay, this could be their biggest heavyweight fight ever. It will be, and I want to see it two or three times. And if it if it means paying John Jones, I, I don't care a hundred million dollars in three fights. Let's do it. And Ngannou needs to make a lot of money too. Money should not be an object here. Let's do this. Definitely. Uh, I. I want to see the fight. I think most people want to see the fight. John Jones has moved up to heavyweight. Um, Interesting looking heavyweight, isn't he's he? He's giant. He's, but he's he always joked about having these uh, stick legs, and I, I always thought like you know, it's just you know it's just the way he's he's at two hundred five, so he hasn't had a chance to bulk up, bulk up his legs. But the, here's the thing: if you don't have legs, it's hard to bulk him up. So he's like, he is top heavy, but he's massive up top now. Yeah. Probably, what, 245 pounds? Yeah, and and it was funny because after the fight the other day, uh, Dana White joked that John Jones was going to see Francis Ngannou fight and then try to move down to 185 instead. Uh, and John, like, immediately tweeted out, like, dude, I've been, I spent a year putting this weight on. Like, I'm right. not, like he was taking it seriously, which he shouldn't, obviously. Right. Uh, but, yeah, he is a heavyweight. He's ready to go. At heavyweight, he was going to take a fight, but it looks like they're going to go right to Ngannou and Jones. Uh, that'll be the offer. Does it? Okay. That'll be the offer, and we'll see if they take it. Now, if I wouldn't take it if I was either guy. I wouldn't take it if I was Ngannou or Jones unless it's a massive price. Yep. I wouldn't take it on my normal contract. There's no way. This is going to be the biggest fight heavy, in heavyweight history. Ngannou, too? Like, what's what's enough money? Like, do you risk taking any other fight when, I would. You, when you could have, you know, I would take, yeah, a payday be- north of 10 mil? Well, the, the alternative is Derek Lewis, which I would take that fight because I think that he's improved a lot since that last fight. I wouldn't. I definitely would. I'll, I'll go with some freaking Russian wrestler. I'm not fighting Derek Lewis with one-punch knockout power. And that, or, or if I am, it, that's going to have to be for a lot of money. Like, I'm going to risk sure. the John Jones fight? Well, it, but if you can't get the John Jones fight. Like, if, oh, okay. if they just say it's not going to happen... Right. The alternative is Derek Lewis. Now, here is a complicating factor because John Jones is saying, hey, I'm I'm at heavyweight now. I'm ready to take the fight. You just have to pay for it. And and everybody is taking that, everybody. Dana White said it, so now all these all the you know sycophants are jumping on board. Oh, he doesn't want the fight. He's scared of the fight. No. He's going he he said pay he would take him. the fight. Pay the money. Pay. I mean This fight is gonna make I thought hundreds of millions of dollars. I thought DW is interested in getting into business with who? Anthony Joshua? These guys make like $80 million a heavyweight fight. I, I, John, John Jones, listen, I, I'm not going to use the word deserve because he's he's a kooky figure. Right. Right, and he's been unreliable at times. But when he fights, for the most part, he's awesome. Now, his skills may have diminished, and he may fall apart at heavyweight. I don't know. 
But I am intrigued to see a fight go, you know, three or four rounds and Francis Ngannou not not trying to fend off Stipe Miocic takedowns, but John Jones kicks to his knees. That front kick. <laughs> By the way, use that as a drop. That sounded great. That's perfect. Um, but kicking from a distance. I don't think. I, I mean, I don't think with, I would take with any Iganu less. With swinging at the air. Good luck. I don't think I would take any less than any less than fifteen million. I would probably take at least. It would probably take at least twenty million to get me to do it if I'm John Jones. Look at you. Uh, that's what needs to happen, and they should pay that. It's going to make way more than that. They could. They could do this at AT and T. They could Ooh. sell it out. So stadium show. So do that. And, and then you could pay them. And, and that's what I would want if I was those guys. Now, here's a complicating factor because I, I don't know if I, – I doubt this is intentional, but I, it, it was just kind of coincidental. But Dana White said, hey, if John Jones won't accept the fight, Derek Lewis is next in line. It's Derek Lewis's fight. And so he can take it. Well, guess what? John Jones, Derek Lewis, same manager. So – would would they would they take? I, I don't know how they would handle that. If, if they're like, okay, negotiations fell through. How about your other client? Let's put him in there. Like I don't know how they would handle that. I don't know how that would work out. If I was them, I would say no. It's John Jones fight. And who's the who's the manager? It's it's the the front row folks. Okay. So, but if I mean, how does this work? If you're John Jones, aren't you like John Jones? Yeah, of course. Like I come first. Are they new will. with him? No, he he'll they'll be fine. No, I'm saying they, they that, will do that. Though. Is that a is that a no. new group with him? No, they've been around with him. So, so they've made a lot of money off of John Jones. Yeah, yeah. and he's okay. they, then that fight needs to get done. I like Derek Lewis, but give me a break. Yeah, I, I think it will, and I think that's why that's part of why it will because now you're going to try to sell. Okay, now he won't take it, and they won't they won't give it to their other client and Derek Lewis. So now when you you move down the rankings even more, what, what do they do a rematch? I doubt it. But, I mean, that, that's kind of the options that are out there for what this to is, do. This is kind of amazing, too, because they're they're with ESPN. I'm sure ESPN wants the fight. Uh, this will be the first fight I, I, I think I can ever remember that ESPN will have – the personalities will have an interest in it on the Embrace debate shows. I would like, have so. they ever sat there and gone, you need this fight to get done? Because that was a big part of boxing for the longest time. This could be the first fight – in uh, UFC history that people want that the media will really jump on. I'm talking mainstream media. Yeah. I mean, we had, like, the GSP Silva fight, but that was before mainstream media was that interested. And ESPN certainly didn't have a part in it. And I'm sure because ESPN kind of owns the pay-per-views now, I'm sure that, you know, upper management at ESPN will be like, go on the air and make make them make this fight. Talk about it. Like, this is the fight we want, so this is the fight our on-air people want. Sorry, we can't give Tom Brady and uh, Marky Mark their uh, guaranteed, you know, this amount of money coming up on the next date. Right? Don't they both own stock? Oh, yeah. Right? They're part owners. They're not getting the money up front. So they're along for the ride. Take some of that money that you give out as dividends. and Well, they, they would make a lot more. They're going to make more make by more down the, the fight. Road. So yeah. it, it makes more. It makes but sense. All, but you know, in the, in the fight game, right? What it, well, they're, what worried it, about, they're worried about precedent for one thing. Exactly. Well, we've talked about this a million times. Dana White always threw out there at the beginning of what he was doing at UFC. Hey, boxing, you know, uh, had the blueprint of how to screw things up. We tore up the blueprint. We were doing things differently. Are you? Differently make, is make, not make, always better. Make the fight. Well, eventually it was going to get to a point where they're big enough where they're going to have to do some of the stuff. They're going to have to deal with the numbers that boxing deals with. And the fighters make a lot of money when they're in mega fights because they deserve it. Yeah. 
There's no question about I mean, it. Please so. don't please don't tell me John Jones does not deserve a gigantic payday when looking across he's looking across the cage and it's Francis and Ganu who can rip his head off. Yeah. Not literally, but Yeah. Well he might be able to Right. <laughs> he might. Right. I've seen him land punches, you're like, that's gonna rip somebody's head off. And by the way, just uh, on a on a side note, Francis and Ganu is a Las Vegan now. Uh, he's been here for a while and is one of the nicest people you're ever going to meet. Great guy. So Wonderful fighter. It's awesome that he, Love him. that he got this chance. Awesome. Always just, knew you were going to do this, Francis. Scared? Number three. Knights. Big weekend. Massive victory. Just to send the message. I was, I was starting to see a lot of, uh, and hear a lot of, and most of it was from the Friday podcast that we did with uh, Koken and Willie Ramirez, that, hey, like, the abs are better. Abs are better. So, nice statement game over the weekend. Now, when we talk about this almost before every game, because it's turned into this really interesting situation with Leonard and Flurry. Where's Flurry right now? Where is he? Just in terms of what you're saying. Well, he'd been really struggling. And so I think, you know, while we say the, the team kind of got back on track a little bit on Saturday, it was also Flurry getting on track a little bit. Going into that game, he had allowed three goals or more uh, in five of the last seven starts. He'd allowed four or more in four of the last seven. He had that awful second period on Thursday, uh, which the team played awful too in front of him. It's not all his fault, but one of the goals was pretty egregious. And so it was int- very interesting to me the decision that Pete DeBoer made to go back to Flurry on Saturday. After it looked like it was going to be back, you know, rotating guys uh, 50-50 and, you know, every other game for each of the goalies, he started Flurry a second straight game. And what he said publicly, Pete DeBoer, was, hey – Two games in Colorado, that's the two biggest games we've had of the season in terms of what it meant in the standings, what it meant in terms of messages, uh, all the all the you know side storylines that went into it. Those are the two most important games of the year. Flurry's been playing well all year. He's been carrying this team. He deserves the right to start both of those big games. That's what he said publicly. Now, my thought more was, hey, he's been really struggling. Like, let's give him another shot to jump back in there and try to right the ship a little bit. And not that not that that's what the team said publicly about it, but that's how I thought uh, it came across, and it kind of worked. I mean, he gave up two early. They were down, but didn't give up anything the rest of the way, and they got the overtime win, so a confidence builder for him, for the team, uh, a, a really, really impressive win uh, to send them back home after it looked like they were on the verge of potentially hitting a kind of a, a problem spot, and Maybe they were going to start sliding a little bit. Really got them back to where they wanted to be. And more importantly than the, than the result, is just playing well. They just played really well. They played much better than they have the last few games. Uh, they were they were much you know, more organized, much tighter defensively. The forecheck was there. The fourth line got involved a little bit. Like A lot of the things they did were really important to just get them back on the right path. Golden Knights at a circuit tonight, minus 220. 220. You can get a plus number. If you want to uh, predict the big victory, minus one and a half. Kings back at plus 190. Number two. You know, we talked about Indiana and that job being open and now filled by Mike Woodson. Not exactly the uh, pie in the sky list that they had hoped for, you know, led by the Celtics coach, Brad Stevens. Texas going to do the same exact thing, right? First of all, what do you think about Shaka Smart saying, you know what, I'm out of here. Goes to Marquette. I mean, I, I don't know what to make of it because I still think he might have got fired. Like, I don't think he was out of the woods 
yet. Yeah. I think they hadn't made a decision on whether to bring him back. Um, a couple of things. First, he's from there. He's from Wisconsin. So kind of going home, although he's from Madison, so he's not going to Wisconsin, but he is going back to his home state where he has a lot of connections, a lot of ties, a lot of recruiting ties, everything else. Uh, when he was growing up, and I think we forget this oftentimes, but we should know it pretty well because of UNLV. When he was growing up, Marquette was a big name. That was a really big job. And so there is some of that kind of ties to when he was younger and what that program meant and what it meant to that region. Uh, so I think that there's a lot of positive factors working for that job in terms of why he wanted to go there. But I also think he was kind of sick of every single year being on the hot seat. Every single year, is he going to be brought back or not? Is he going to be fired? What's going to happen? Um, I think he wanted to just kind of start over in a different place. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a step back, you know, you would think from the outside. But I think for him, it's a better spot. I agree. Uh, do you feel like there was a missed opportunity in town? Well, if they would have waited. If UNLV I mean, would have waited. I mean, they didn't have to wait. They just make a call. Like, what's going on? What's, what's going on right now with Shaka? Didn't you think Shaka Smart was very much in the mix before? I thought so. Or was a hope? Yeah. I thought was it was a, a hope before Otzelberger got hired? An aspiration? Yes. I think they were hoping he got fired so they could be in the mix. Um. Yeah, possibly that they could have they could have made that phone call. Maybe they did make the phone call. Maybe they found out he was going to Marquette. Like the, these things, uh, it's something that we've learned with these last couple of searches. But like these things are known a long time before they actually happen in a lot in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, I, I talked to a coach that thought there might be an opening at Iowa State, and they were like, "Oh, this is good. Maybe get the resume out there." And they said, "No, nope, T.J. Altsberger's taking it." And this is a month before anything happened. So I think a lot of these things get around and are known and maybe they called and some intermediary said, no, don't worry about it. It's not going to work. He's going to Marquette. It's already done. That's that's possible that that happened. Yeah, it could have also got wind that it's Marquette and that the salary is way beyond what UNLV wanted to pay. Yeah. And I think they would need booster assistance on Shaka Smart. For sure. Money, because, you know, I was looking up to see what he got. I don't know that Marquette releases private what their, yeah, what their coaches get paid so private schools are different number one I got more on the Texas job in the grab bag it's okay. coming up a little later on 17th game it's gonna happen this year in the NFL each team's gonna play 17 games first of all the scheduling oddity what is it nine home games for AFC teams okay eight for NFC teams. uneven schedule don't like that why uh, just there's some things that are that are based on final record, and you know whether it be draft pick, whether it be um, what Super Bowl is right. You, the you don't get a home field, but you're considered the home team. Not that it matters uh, in that in that regard, but um, yeah, I, I think it's just a weird a weird spot to have 17 games. It doesn't make it doesn't make sense. It, there's no there's no symmetry to it. And again, all the AFC teams are going to have an extra game, so that's who you're competing with for a playoff spot. So you're going to have the same amount of games as them, but the draft order thing is is something that you know some teams are going to get more home games than others. It's just it's weird when the final standings are done and it's like a team is nine and eight. It's just weird to me. I don't like it. We'll get used to it. I'd rather have eighteen than seventeen. And I remember pounding my fist as a child in the seventies when I was like, fourteen games is what it is in the National Football League. Sixteen. But they they didn't go to fifteen though. 
They didn't go to 15. They went 14. They went 12 to 14 to 16. Uh, looks like these are the games that could be the 17th game. Packers Chiefs. Okay, well, I don't know if both of those teams are like, great, that's a good game. Thanks for throwing that in the schedule. Rams Ravens, Cardinals Browns, Seahawks Steelers, football team against the Bills, Cowboys Patriots, Bears Raiders. And that would be a home game. Yeah. So we'd have Chicago fans if we can have 100% capacity. We'd have, that'd be a that'd be a big draw. Boy, if you got season tickets, you got to be salivating. Sell those tickets. For sure. Lots of uh, Chicago folks coming into town. And an easy win for the Rick. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, our guys from Pro Football Focus, George Ruri and uh, Eric Eager, were saying the line would be one guest, Raiders two. The other said Raiders one. Andy Dalton at quarterback? Really? Raiders wouldn't even be favored by a field goal at home? Like Andy, Andy Dalton at quarterback? I like Andy Dalton. With with that team and those weapons, I think it works out. It works out all right. All right, we'll have some we'll have some bets on that one. Um, but the, I mean, you, the Bears off to travel to the West, which not great for them. Uh, but you look at some of those other games that you mentioned: Rams all the way to the East Coast against the Ravens, Seahawks all the way to the East Coast against the Steelers, uh, Cardinals almost all the way to the East Coast against the Browns. Like that, that adds a you know the, the added game is rough for some of these teams and an added travel game which is going to be you know tough to deal with during the season as well we don't know what the protocols are going to be if things are going to be back to normal in terms of travel uh, all those things to deal with uh, this this does add a different dimension to the season and, and one to really focus on and think about when you're making some future bets too it's the big five at five brought to you by Battleborn injury lawyers if you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battle Born Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Singleton up top to Hawkins, seven to shoot. Hawkins against Shaq, Wilford out, front shot by the five. Hawkins dribbles right, step back three from the wing. Got it! Jaime Hawkins! The UCLA Bruins are in the Elite Eight. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at Bar Canada Inside the D. I like that UCLA team. They can score. A lot of size, especially on the wings. Tiger Campbell. Tough, 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 tough. Courtesy on that call. Two. Ryan Radke and Westwood one. Ari and I play this game, if I can guess, because he won't give me who I give credit to. I actually I'm kidding. He was actually confused. I was going to jump in there. I knew that one. I was Did you? I, was I don't even know if I'm yesterday. correct. I'm just I'm He guessing. was doing the game. He was. Okay, there you go. He's very good. He's the uh, former Reno voice. I don't know if he still does Reno baseball, AAA baseball, but he's the former voice of the uh, Wolfpack. Believe it or not. So UCLA, a big story. USC, a big story. Oregon State, a big story. Oregon State is playing in just a little bit, about a half an hour against the Houston Cougars. Number is eight. Here at Circa, so they've got the sports book inside the D, right adjacent to Bar Canada, and then the late game, Baylor seven and a half against Arkansas. You got picks on these games? Are you betting them? Or are you gonna wait in game? I have a very significant interest in Oregon State. You do. That's right. Um, so I'm gonna ride with that, and I'll do a lot of in game. Yes, I was betting both sides of every game yesterday. 
Really? Great. Oh, yeah. It's great. I didn't get that involved. The only time I got involved was playing on that Oregon comeback. That uh, didn't work. I had... Although, if I had bet it when it was up at 20, I would have had a chance, but I bet it too early. I don't know if you would. Oh, no. It did get a 16 and a half. I had minus one and a half and plus 13 and a half. Uh, yeah. That's a rough one. You love these middles. I love them. You think it's the only way to play the games now? I do. Unless you're on a juicy dog from the get-go. Yeah, uh, but even then, like you're you're still you you're can still, still finding middles, um, and you you know you can make I, I make my my opening bets bigger now because I know I'm playing out of them no matter what, and so you know I'll I'll take a side before the game. But yesterday, like I loved USC, it was one of my biggest bets of the tournament. I laid it, and then I was like, all right, let's go. I'll give some back, and I ended up giving some back. But it's it's to it's to, you know in an effort to try to middle and to try to avoid. A huge loss, but you know we're, we're close. I loaded up on Baylor against Villanova, but it was only because I had Villanova at forty-five to one to win the national title. So yeah, that, was, that. that was one of those moments where I'm like, "All right, that's enough. Get out, Villanova. I just want to move on with a win here." And Baylor actually, Baylor opened the game because they were big favorites. They opened the game at like minus three forty money line, and eventually in game, I think it got down to like one twenty. <laughs> so, but you don't know that going into a game that it's going to be that tight at the half. And I mean, it was more, it was. It was more than tight. Baylor was in trouble. And then the second half, they were just ridiculous. Yeah. Baylor's it, damn good. It, By the way, we were talking about the Texas job. Does Texas even make a call to Scott Drew? Do you bother? Because I assume Nike schools like Baylor and Oregon. Like, I've seen uh, Altman on the, uh, you know, Texas wish list. Like, do you think those schools are going to let those guys go? I think they would just match. Yeah. So, why bother? Yeah. And, and both are so entrenched now at their schools, they're, yeah. they're not going to leave. Unless there's something so. we don't know about and they want to get the hell out. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Although, I mean, and I also don't, like, I, I don't know what's coming for Baylor at some point. You would imagine something, but, um, I mean, I. Well, that could be said uh, about a lot of schools. Of course. Of course. You never know. Uh, on the way back, let's talk to Tim Miles, former college basketball coach, uh, very much on the uh, lips of many college basketball fans, especially out west, for some of the job openings. We'll talk about college coaching, his opinion of what's going on here, uh, going into the Elite Eight. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. Now, back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Adam Hill, do you have a radio hosting tree? Yeah. That you've, that you've, uh, you've produced? Yeah, JVT, one person. One person. Yep. All right. I've done this for 30 years. I have no tree. All the branches are just, it's nothing. Zero. I've turned out nothing. You're a soul crusher. Meanwhile, Tim Miles. My Lord. Anyone who's touched Tim Miles in the past is like he's co- coaching success. Craig Smith, new coach in Utah. Colorado State might, might have the best coach in the conference. And uh, Nico Medved. Dutcher's pretty good. He's decent. Yeah. Tim Miles is up with us here, a former coach at uh, Colorado State, Nebraska many other spots and he's an analyst for fox sports how are you sir keith thanks for having me on guys how are you doing i'm we're, doing great we're good man we're good we were just bragging about your coaching tree we were bragging on your behalf well thank you thank you i um actually ben johnson who just got hired at minnesota was my right. assistant for a year but i can't take credit for him i just had him <laughs> under me for a year so oh, that's sure. that's a little audacious but how about craig smith and nico medved you're right man those two have been knocking out of the park uh, talk about Craig Smith for folks who maybe, I mean, if you're listening to our station, you've, you've, you know, we talk about Utah State a lot, but what is Utah getting now in Craig Smith? Well, Craig is a, you know, he's a terrific 
energetic, enthusiastic guy, but, but what you see when he talks to the media or when he's out in public is this, you know, this high-energy guy, and there's so much more depth to what he is and who he is. He knows how to put together a team. He knows how to manage a game. He knows he's got a great relationship with the guys, and, and he just does an outstanding job, whether it be game planning, attacking an opponent on offense, or especially defensively. I think he's outstanding. I really think he understands, too, you know, how to put a, a, a team together, you know, that general managership, so to speak. Craig was with me, what, 11 years over four different jobs. And um, and he taught me a lot, and hopefully I taught him a little. Uh, and as you look at him, I think he's going to have excellent success at Utah. So are you surprised? Let's talk NCAA tournament. Are you surprised by the success that the Pac-12 has had? Well, a little bit, I have to admit. You know, um, of course, I was in the Big Ten for seven years. Now I've done broadcasting with the Big Ten and the Big East the last two. And um, but a good friend of mine, uh, a couple of them, Chris Harriman at Cal, and Mike Lewis, who's my assistant at, at Nebraska, with me, uh, is with Nick Cronin at UCLA. So I, I've actually been out to see uh, those guys practice and spent time with them, and 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 thought that Nick had done an outstanding job. Mark Fox is doing a good job as he's rearranging and, and restructuring Cal. But, you know, Wayne Tinkle, who, you know, was at Montana previously and, you know, honestly was a little bit on the hook, uh, you know, at the beginning of this year, has done a phenomenal job with that team. What a great team on offense and defense. Uh, they've been really impressive. Of course, Oregon, uh, you know, I thought was good when they got a chance. But I think Southern Cal has been the most surprising to me um, in terms of just how they've annihilated teams. I, I'm surprised about Oregon State, but just the way Southern Cal, I think we've underestimated USC and Andy Enfield. Do they have a shot against Gonzaga? We've talked about maybe their their length bothering Gonzaga a little bit on the jump shots, but really Gonzaga is such a machine. Can USC win that game? Well, they can because they've got the length. You know, they're the biggest team in the country. So, you know, that, that's a good start. I mean, when you start about defending – uh, I think that this is the only time in college basketball history this late in the year the best defensive two-point field goal percentage team is playing the best offensive two-point field goal percentage team. So those are teams that live at the rim, uh, score at ease, right? That's Gonzaga. And then teams that absolutely don't let you uh, even close to the rim uh, and block shots and, and, and just don't really foul, but really do an excellent job. That's Southern Cal. Um that's going to be just an amazing uh, thing. So I think Southern Cal, I, I've got to give them props just because of their 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 tournament uh, performance has been so dominating. But I, I also told, I, I was texting Dan Dickow last night, this is the best Gonzaga team, this is the best college basketball team I've seen in a long, long, long time. It's amazing just watching. It's crazy. But one of the things we keep saying is they haven't been tested. They've won every game by double digits. Nobody's been close. Can they handle it if they have a close game? Do we make too much of that? Because really, they're avoiding close games by being so good. Yeah, I mean, you can't, you know, if you're Mark Few, you can't plan for me. You know, like, uh, do, we, do we hold them back? What do we do? No, it, they are so good that, you know, the only thing you can, that, that you may, let's say you're Southern Cal, the only thing you hope is if the game is close, maybe somebody tries to play a little bit of hero basketball that hasn't had to do it all year. But so many of those guys are so good, that and they play with such ease. I mean, you just look at that Creighton game, 
And it looked like, you know, some of those guys, uh, like uh, Timmy, was just jacking around. He was just like, it was so easy for him uh, to make plays and stuff like that, that he was just out there like he was hanging out with his fellas. So there's a lot of talent on that team, and I don't know. I mean, this is a this is an impressive matchup to me. Uh, this is a, the one. I thought maybe it could be Oregon because I thought or- Oregon's top five guys were really, really good, even though they didn't have great size. Uh, and then you saw Southern Cal demolish them. And so this should be a really, really fun game to watch tomorrow night. What do you think happens with Arkansas in an upset bid here? Can they get it done? Can they get it done? Baylor has been, you know, most people consider him one of the top two teams in the country the entire year. Yeah, I, I finally thought that Baylor was playing the way they had been pre-COVID, right? I think you've heard plenty of that, that when they came off their COVID, they had not played as well. And finally, when they got to the NCAA tournament, I think they played pretty well. Arkansas has kind of been getting by by the skin of their teeth, so to speak, um, the way I look at it. They've been just skating by, and I'm not sure that they – I'm not sure that's going to be good enough. They're going to, they're going to have to be dominant from the get-go uh, in terms of their effort and their execution. And and they just, you know, kind of hung around and barely got by Oral Roberts. They did that again uh, in their first-round game, too. And I'm just not as impressed. And, and, you know, David Patrick's a good friend of mine. He's one of their assistant coaches. Clay Moser, Eric Musselman, the guy I've known for a long time. They're excellent coaches. But I, I don't know. Baylor is really playing. I, I think Baylor's coming out of that game. The voice of Tim Miles on Cofield and Company is uh, Coach Miles was at uh, Colorado State, also in the Big Ten at Nebraska. Why is Musselman, I mean, this is two stops now where he did the quick rebuild. Why is he so good at the quick rebuild? Yeah, you know, he's interesting. Um, I, I have a podcast called Inside the Mind of Miles, which is, uh, you know, historically bad, but I tell everybody it's the greatest one in mankind. Uh, but but Eric was on there, and I asked him, how, how were your days, in minor league coaching, remember, he was in the CBA, which is now the G League, okay? He was in the CBA for a long time. And um, and I said, how was your time in the CBA and in the NBA? How did that influence your uh, college career? And he said, you know, the way you put together a team and the way you accumulate talent in a quick amount of time, the way you have to reassemble all the time in CBA basketball, in the minor leagues of basketball, because guys are fucking your guy, you know, you got a good player getting 25 a game, he's gone to the Clippers. Good guy getting 20 a game, he's gone to the Kings. You know, you're losing guys all the time, and so you have to figure out how to reconfigure the team four and five times within a season, and he's used that ability and those thought processes to really help him, I think, in college basketball, and he's done it through the transfer, the transfer portal mostly, um, but you know that's his, his thing is we're going to have eight, seven, eight studs and forget about the rest. Yeah, in a lot of ways, he's made it really tough on other coaches. Um, and I reference him all the time here in Vegas with UNLV. We talk about UNLV, you know, and, and the building process. And it's like, I don't know, a guy went to Reno and turned around Nevada, nine wins with David Carter to 24 to 28. Like, I know it's tough on you coaches, but when Eric Musselman's doing it, you look at it, you're like, yeah, it shouldn't be a three-year rebuild. Let's go, quick, quick, quick. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and, and it's just right up his alley. It's what he's done his whole life. It's not your, you know, what you just suggested, which is, you know, the normal college continuity could be gone. Those could be days gone by. We, uh, we pushed your name into the mix. I uh, thought you were a great candidate for the UNLV job. Did you call them? Did they call you? Were you involved at all? Nope, not involved at all. But uh, Lon Kruger's a good friend of mine. I've known Kevin Kruger for a long time. That is a 
great family, as you guys know, uh, and I'm happy for Kevin. And um, certainly want to get back and coach again at some point. I want it to be right. And, uh, and so hopefully one of these days something falls and, and we decide to do it. Otherwise, I'm going to be here in uh, Stinkin' Lincoln, Nebraska, just hanging out and doing broadcasting. Tim Miles is with us. Uh, Fox Analyst has his podcast. Give me the name of the podcast again. Inside the Mind of Miles. All right, must listen, must listen. Uh, we're big supporters of Kevin Kruger. Uh, he absolutely was one of our choices, you know, along with mentioning your name as a as a candidate for the job. We're massive fans of Lon Kruger. Most of Las Vegas is. Uh, he did resurrect the UNLV program and, and got him in a, a good direction there between he and Dave Rice. They made the NCAAs six out of seven years. So I just talk to the audience here. We know Lon Kruger pretty well, but just your experiences around Lon and just more of the kind of the coaching take on the job he did over the years as he just retired last week. Well, with Ron, it's amazing how consistent a product he puts out. Every time, you know, he never really signs, like, the top, you know, heralded recruits. He gets these guys that are good. He puts a team together that's really good. He coaches them without even raising his voice. Very non, no-nonsense, uh, very encouraging, very uh, positive guy with his guys. They go out, and they're really hard to score on. They're rock-solid defensively. It's very difficult to get an easy bucket. Then, you know, he, he, he understands, you know, he's got this, and I think his time in the NBA helped, but, you know, he's got this Rolodex mentally of plays and actions where he can put, you know, the best guys in the best position to score and hurt you. And he just seems like, he seems like the guy that, I always said, you know, Lon's the guy that beats you by four or five every time. You know, it, it's like the guy that wins the, um, the U.S. Open. Like, you never hear from him, but he's in the final five at the U.S. Open every time. When things are at their hardest, he's at their best. Now, when everybody's going under par and everybody's, you know, 20 under, um, he, he might not be the guy. And, and what I mean by that is that, that, that he understands every situation the way it is, every game, and he's going to um, execute a game plan and just beat you. And he's not going to, you know, like I say, recruiting, right? <laughs> Um, he's going to do it the right way. And, and I think that at that time, that's exactly what UNLV needed uh, and is to come through. And I just really have always had great respect for him. He's a gentleman. He's a person of great class and dignity and integrity, and he really knows how to coach. Tim Miles is with us on Cofield and Company. Let's close out where we started with the tournament. Can Michigan win it all? I didn't think so uh, until, you know, when Livers went down. When Isaiah Livers, uh, their power forward, got hurt, who was a huge part of their, their game, I was like, uh, but Chandra Brown has really done a great job stepping up his game. He's a Division one transfer uh, that has stepped up big time. And, and now I'm not so sure. I, I, think, they, I think they can. I, I still sit there and say if, you know, if Gonzaga – can get by uh, Southern Cal. That that is the biggest hurdle to me yet with Gonzaga. I, I'm not sure anybody on that other side, of, you know, can stop them. I just I don't I don't see it happening. You coached at Nebraska, so I'm sure people have had the conversation with you. Like, what happened to the Big Ten this year? And we started the conversation last week with some comments from Dan Dockich, who said the the league is just is filled with coaches who are just so defensive oriented and are and oftentimes. Maybe their ego gets in the way. They want to pull kids off the court because they make one defensive mistake. And he was saying, hey, college basketball is about scoring now. You can't take your best players off the floor to freaking give them a, a tongue lashing. And 
Uh, John Crispin, who played in the league and you know, in that conference at Penn State and also at UCLA, was kind of saying the same thing that the conference has kind of got to update its attitude on the uh, you know playing the four or five, the, the the two power big guys, and be more flexible. So, what did you see that let the Big Ten down outside of Michigan in this tournament? Well, there's no doubt that you're right. The size drives the Big Ten. There's there's more NBA fours and fives in that league than there are. Uh, in a lot of leagues. Um, I, I would tell you this, too, is that there's so much money in that league, and, it's, and it is well coached. There's a, a bit of a beatdown effect, I think. You know, if you look at a top-heavy league, let's say Gonzaga, for instance, it, it's okay to, to get healthy, you know, and you have that. I would also tell you the Big Ten added two league games two years ago, three years yeah. ago. Yeah. And, I'm, and it helped get more teams in the NCAA, but I'm not sure it's helped go further in the NCAA tournament, you know? Right. Uh, there's no freshness, and they're also the last one to get done um, uh, in conference tournaments. Um, well, one of the last ones. I can't say, uh, you know, the last one. But so I guess my point is is that uh, there might be some point that the coaches, you know, are, are a little rigid. Certainly it's more of a dominant defensive league than it is an offensive prowess league. Like, there are no easy buckets in the Big Ten. I mean, it's as well scouted as the NBA. And it feels to me a little bit like the NFL, which is, you know, from one year to the next, anybody could pop out of there and make a run, and and you don't know who it is. But you can go from, you know, I did. I went from 12th to 4th twice, and and we were really good. Um, but, you know, it just depends. So I, 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 it's been 21 years since we won a national championship, so something is amiss. And certainly – uh, maybe it is offense, but I know Michigan State had teams that were unbelievable offensively, and they've been to several Final Fours, uh, but they have not been able to get over the top. Wisconsin was unbelievable with Bo Ryan for those two years offensively. I really thought I was surprised that uh, that that Illinois this year got you know manhandled as bad as they did against Loyola, but it happened, and uh, and and now you see that you know a team like Michigan is still flying high because they can score, uh, but I just worry without a, a, a cog like Livers, if you get to 18 on any night against any opponent, that could really hurt him. He's doing analysis work for Fox Sports. Inside the Mind of Miles podcast, it's uh, Coach Tim Miles. We appreciate it, Coach. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thanks, man. Yeah, one of our favorite guys, especially when he was at Colorado State. I think New Mexico made a mistake. I like Richard Pitino, but I think Tim Miles was a lock to do a really good job there, and they got to get things, you know, energized again, and he's such a positive guy. He would have been great in that community. The Cofield and Company crew is back tonight at 1030. It's John Von Tobel and Adam Hill with their Smarter Than You podcast. Watch at Steve Cofield on Twitter or on YouTube. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. That was cool to catch up with Tim Miles, former coach of Nebraska and Colorado State. Uh, You know, for years he's been part of Coaches versus Cancer, and uh, they are coming back. They never. It's not like they disappeared. Right. But obviously, things became a little more difficult with big events during the pandemic. They did a great thing at the end of last year where they raised a bunch of money by uh, offering up different coaches around the country for a round of golf. You get to play a round of golf with them. It, it was. The, I looked at the list. It was incredible. So their big event is back in May in Vegas. Hopefully, everything's going to work out here. But you know, it's trending pretty well. 
Uh, it's a 14th annual Coaches versus Cancer Las Vegas Golf Classic. 16th to the 18th. Tie-ins with Park MGM, Shadow Creek, Southern Highlands, and uh, you'll have a ton of different coaches from around the country coming into town. So hopefully we're going to catch up with a bunch of the coaches, including guys like Tim Miles, who was really good on that spot. Stick your hand in there, Dave. This is the spot to watch the NCAA tournament tonight. It's Bar Canada, the D Las Vegas, on the second floor, coming up, pitcher specials on Coors Light and Heineken. you got the special collector's cup for the Vegas Golden Knights as well. Highly recommended. It's an awesome place. Great TV set. Awesome place. What do you do with the Knights tonight in terms of uh, betting play? I was looking I was looking at the uh you take the over eight and a half here. It's at uh at Circus Sports, you can get plus six dollars. I don't know. I'll look at you. I don't think it's gonna happen. Just I was looking at that price. I thought that was interesting. Thanks to the folks here at the D. Angel, good job.